Wonderful. Okay. Well, what an honor to be able to... I was so glad when they, they gave this one to me. I love all the, our family values, but when they said we are Bible-believing, I said, yes, I love that one. Thank you. Okay. Um, also, if we can make sure we have, a, a, I think, a clock going at the back. I think they said... I don't know what the time is, but thank you. Okay. So we are a Bible-believing church here. Well, the, 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 the church meaning the... Or, the body of Christ should be believing the Bible. But in, in particular here at Family Church, we are Bible believing because there are different churches around this world and they all have different takes on it, don't they? And not all of them believe 100% of the Bible and that's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. But here at Family Church, woo, we do. We are Bible believing. Okay, and here at Family Church, we believe that every single word of the Holy Bible is 100% true and directly from the heart of God, okay? And the Bible tells us of itself, the Bible says of itself, that God inspired the people who wrote down the scriptures, if you were ever wondering how they compiled all, this, all these words together in this book, it says that people were inspired by God and they were the instruments God used to pen the scriptures. Um, and here are a few facts that you might not know about the Bible. Maybe you didn't know this. There were 40 writers of the Bible from the Old and the New Testament and it took about 1,500 years to complete. That's a long time. Um, and it was written on three continents. Did you know that? I didn't know that until I looked that up. And I was like, oh, okay, look at that. But yet, with th there is one theme that runs throughout the whole thing. And the theme is redemption. And you know, that God was going to send a savior and save us from our sins. And, you know, the reason why in all of these books, there's 66 books in the whole Bible. It's 66. Um, you're saying books. Of, I thought the Bible was one book. Actually, it's made up of 66 littler books all compiled together. And the reason why that even though it took 1,500 years with 40 writers who probably some of them never met or knew each other personally in any way, and yet this theme is the same. Uh, throughout the whole Bible. That is miraculous. You know, you can't get like three Christians in a room to like agree on some stuff. You know what I mean? We're talking 40 writers, 1,500 years, three continents, and one theme, a miracle. It's a miracle. And the reason why that is, is because although there were 40 writers, there's one author, and that author is God. That's God. Amen. Okay. And I can prove that from the Bible that it says that of itself. 1 Peter 1, 21 and 22, it says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God and they wrote it down as well. Okay, so here at FC, we believe that pe the people... And the situations in the Bible, in the scripture, were actual and real, actual people and real situations. And let me tell you right now, I oppose, and, and we at Family Church oppose the thought that the Bible is a myth and it's merely symbolic, okay? And here's what I mean by that. There are Christian doctrines out there, 
people who've got it in their head and say, you know what, the miracles and things we read in the Bible, they're not, they didn't actually happen. They're more symbolic. Like, for example, there are people actually saying this, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. You see, what, he, what the scripture actually means is that his good teachings after this wonderful son of God died now live on in our hearts. And I say that's hogwash, okay? And we here say that is hogwash because the Apostle Paul also says that's hogwash in the sense that if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, rise from the dead, then we are still in our sins and we are in big trouble. So I do not hold to the myth uh, thing that they're saying out there and it's just a thing and it's if someone tells you that that the things of the bible were not actual and they were not real people you can point them back to me if you want but you can stand there right there in their face and say hogwash okay okay they were actual and they were real and you know our modern secular society tells a person that believes in such a way that these things were actual and these things were real and these miracles really did happen that we are foolish we are naive we are uneducated um, and that we're just silly and we believe fairy tales but the bible actually says of that person who says that and reverses it and says, actually, that person who says there is no God is a fool. And that's what the Bible says. And in more than one place. I see it in Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1. I don't have it for the um, screen. But it's written in more than one place that only a fool says in their heart there is no God. Okay, and when that person who says there is no God, this is not real, stands before God, it says in the scripture that they will have no excuse when they stand before him. Romans 1.20, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. That's a scripture in the Bible, you know? And, and it makes me say that our creation, everything that we see, the beauty that is around us, even a tree, even as simple as a blade of grass, you know, creation is the original missionaries that God put out there to speak to humanity and say, hey, I made this, look at it. This didn't just happen. This didn't just poof. You know, and for me, I take it back to the fact that, okay, you want to talk about evolution and everything. All right, fair enough. Okay, if that's the way you want to go. But where did the first spark come from? The very first one. Because it is a law of science that says that nothing comes from nothing. You can't get something from nothing. That's the first law of thermodynamics in science. So then, science, where did the first something come from to make everything we see? See, that question is the question that makes me say, all right, well then where did it come from? Where did all this something come from, from nothing? Okay? I don't know. It's just good to think about. Anyway.
So, of course, as Christians, we believe the Bible. But why is the Bible then so important to us as followers of Jesus? Okay, we believe it. We're going to say that you're here because you believe it. I don't need to convince you, although I've given you all little things there. There is so much more I can talk about that actually backs up the Bible in so many ways. But why as Christians, as followers of Jesus, why is the Word of God so important to us? And I'm going to give you six reasons, and I'm going to fly through them, so don't think, oh my goodness, six reasons. Okay. I could have given you 6,000. I really, I really cut this list. I was like, oh, oh I, want, I want to say that, but I won't. Oh, okay. Oh, I'll cut that one out, you know, for time's sake. Okay, number one, God's word reveals God's thoughts. You know, God is mysterious in some ways. He really is. He's a mysterious character. But he's very clear in the Bible about his thoughts, his will, his desires, and his opinions. And that's actually quite a lot to know about someone so that you can know them. Someone's thoughts, wills, desire, opinions. Okay? Let me read you Isaiah 55, 8, 8 through 11. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow and the seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is in the same with my, it is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. This scripture tells us where God is saying, hey, my ways are higher than your ways. But you know what? God is not saying my ways are higher than your ways. Oh, I'm better than you. Later. See ya. No, he doesn't say that. What he's saying is my ways are higher than your ways. And here's a book. I have a whole book. My word has come down like the rain and like the snow. And it's going to accomplish everything that that I want it to do. Just like the rain and the snow do, so is my word. And it's come down. And you can read about my higher ways right here in this book. And there you go. He gave us this. He wants us to know his higher ways. They're not meant to be a mystery. Those higher thoughts he's saying that he has higher than us, that's in your Bible. That's in your Bible. Let's say you wanted to get to know my thoughts, my opinions, right? Well, what do you need to know? If you wanted to know what I was thinking and what my will in life is and and all my opinions, what would you do? You'd have to hear my words, right? We'd have to have some conversations or read stuff I wrote or something to know what I think. It is the same way with our Bibles. We can know the thoughts of God. He's not that mysterious because he's very clear about what he is thinking in the word. And just like you would get to know me through my words, you can get to know God through his words in the scripture. And you can know God's opinion on everything, on everything, on family, on marriage, on sexuality, how to deal with difficult people, what love really is, um, God's thoughts on money, how to, have a, how to have success in this life, how to make friends, how to have successful relationships. I can go on and on and on and on because it's all in the scriptures, God's thoughts and God's opinions on all the important stuff of life and even things you wouldn't imagine, even like how to make a friend. It's in the Bible. 
He gave us the Bible so that we'd know what he was thinking. He wants us to know what he's thinking. He, don't, he doesn't want his thoughts to be a big mystery. He makes his thoughts very clear in his word, okay? Number two, this is the second thing, why the word's important to a follower of Jesus. God's word sheds light on the path that we should take, okay? It sheds light on our path, the pathway of life. Let me read you Psalm 119, verses 104 to 105. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. The psalmist here, the guy, the guy who wrote this down, says, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp. You know what? This psalmist, I think, was sick and tired of making stupid and bad decisions in life, in all areas of his life. And he got to the point where he said, I, I hate the wrong path, Lord. Show me your way. Show me your path. From your word, shed a light onto my pathway so that I know which way to walk. I know which decision that would please you. I know the things that are right to do because your word says it. Your word sheds a light onto my pathway. Okay. Um, Number three, God's word is food to keep us strong. We love food, don't we? I love food. You love food? Jeremiah 15, 16, when your words came, I ate them. This is a prophet speaking. When your words came, I ate them. They were joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. You know, the the prophet there is speaking of the words of God like delicious food. Your words came and I ate them and they were sweet and they were my heart's delight. You know, speaking of it in that way. And just like we need food to keep our bodies healthy and strong, the scripture tells us that we need spiritual food to keep us spiritually healthy and strong. We're not just a body. We have a spirit inside of us. And that's the part of us that's going to live on forever. Our body won't live forever, but our spirit will. And what you want, even in this life, you can begin to do this. Actually, it's in this life that you have to do this. This is what we've got, the here and the now, right? This is what we have right now. We need to be building up our spirit with good, healthy, spiritual food. That is the scriptures. 1 Peter 2.2 says this. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We need to grow up in our salvation. All of us, even very mature Christians, they'll always be, as long as, as long as we are alive, there will always be areas in our life. I don't care how long you've been a Christian that need, that we need to grow up more in. Always, always. You know, and you don't want to remain a baby. You don't want to be immature for, for your whole life spiritually. You want to be strong in the Lord. In our physical life, if you were to remain like a baby year after year after year and maturity wasn't happening, um, we would, that would indicate a problem medically, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? You'd go to a doctor and say, there's something wrong with my child. They're not maturing they're not growing up. Their mind is not, is not maturing. Well, spiritually, it's the same thing because healthy things grow. That's a principle. Healthy things grow. And it's the same spiritually. And you won't grow strong and healthy spiritually if you're not eating good, healthy, spiritual food. And that spiritual food is the Bible. 
Okay. Um, and this prophet says he took those words and he ate them and he put them in his mouth and they were sweet and then delicious to him. You know, God wants us to treat his word like tasty food that we bite off, we chew it, and we digest it. And there's a word in the scripture for that, and it's called meditation. That's exactly, that is a beautiful definition of what meditating on the word is. Um, bite it means get a bit of it, something that really speaks to you, maybe something from the Gospels, maybe a scripture that's really been speaking to you in the situation you're in, maybe a psalm. I love Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I'm on that one all the time because it, it constantly speaks to my soul. So you, you bite it off, so to speak. You, you chew it in your mouth a little bit, in the mouth of your spirit, and you do that by reading it throughout the day. Maybe you write it a, uh, on a little card and keep it in your pocket, and while you're waiting for the bus, you pull it out. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you read it. Um, maybe at night before bed, you have that little card by the bed. You read it before bed. And so you mull it over it. And it also says that meditation, the Hebrew word for meditation is actually to mutter. Like to speak it under your breath and to say it often. So you could be in the supermarket just saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, he leaves me beside the still waters. You could be saying it. And as you're doing that, you are meditating on the word of God. And that's how God wired our brains. Did you know that? So that we get bite-sized information. We take it. We mull it over. It's in our minds. But you want to get it down into your heart. And the way to do that is by meditating. That's how God designed our brains to be. And so that is why the Bible speaks of meditation. It actually uses the word. Okay, so meditation, that's the thing we need to be doing to get it into our heart. And you know, actually by meditating on the word of God, you can actually change, this might be a big word for you, but your neural pathways. Okay, your brain is very wrinkled. You know that? All those little wrinkles are called neural pathways. They're like little roads. Did you know that the more wrinkled your brain, you can make wrinkles in your brain. That's where we want the wrinkles, guys. Not here, right? Not here. We want them in, in there. And you can make wrinkles in your brain by meditating. Your brain will actually create new neural pathways. And let me tell you, that changes the way you think. You might be a person filled with fear and filled with anxiety, full of depression, and you think there is no way out of this. Yes, there is. The Word of God says, meditate upon the Word of God. And you will, little by little by little, find that you are changing. And those storms will come. And you know what? They might get you at first, and you might think, whoo, storm of life. But then you know what? Your comeback time is going to get quicker every time, till the point when you're in the middle of the storm, and you think, whoo, look at that storm. And you're sitting in the middle of it, perfect peace. The Bible says that we can have perfect peace that makes no sense. Amen. Beautiful word of God. Okay, so we want to, to be changed, strong and healthy, by getting good, good food into our spirit. Okay, number four, the word of God prunes and corrects us. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 3.16. Every scripture is inspired by God. Here we go with that inspiration again. And it is useful for teaching for convincing, for correction of error, and for instruction in right doing. Okay, look how wonderful. The Word of God is there to correct us and help us when we've got things wrong, when we're not thinking about something in a right way. God says, I've got a higher thought for you. How about this? 
and it's in the word of God, and we can get that. And, it, and I love that. It says it's for convincing. Convincing who? Convincing us, you know? Convincing that silly, silly sausage of a brain we have sometimes that just gets it wrong, that, that sits and, and worries and has anxiety or, or is hateful and unforgiving. You know, God says, I've got better thoughts for you. Here they are. It's in your Bible. Okay, so um, Jesus spoke about how God cleans us up, right, spiritually, and he spoke of it in gardening terms, okay? Why? Because people back then were really into agriculture. They really understood that, but somehow I'm not into agriculture, but I really get it. I have a plant at home, and I've been keeping it alive for several years now, so I'm going to say that I grow stuff, okay? I'm a farmer of sorts, okay? Um, John 15, 1 through 3, Jesus said this. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, means he cuts it back a little, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So what he's saying here is that God is so good and so merciful and so gracious that when he sees things in our life that are just fruitless, you know, like a gardener, like a good gardener, and, and we're in him, we're, we're that branch, he comes and he cuts that fruitless thing off of us. And he doesn't do it to be mean or horrible. I'm going to cut that thing off you. No, he wants to cut it off so you'll be like, oh, I'm free. I'm free of that thing. And that's what the word of God does. As we abide, that means live in, the, our word of God, the scriptures, as we, as we abide in them, that means like not just visiting it now and again, but actually live in the scriptures. That's what's happening. Old things are being cut off. Where all of our energy was going into this dead, fruitless thing, God says, oh, I don't want you to waste your time in life. Let me cut that thing off of you so that you can be more fruitful and all that goodness of, and energy will go toward the healthy branches and you'll get more fruit. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Pruning might hurt for a second, but I tell you, you will be so grateful for the fruit in your life and you will feel the energy of God as you no longer have this dead weight on you anymore of dead branches. Okay, number five. God's, this is another reason why a follower of Jesus, we think the Bible's so important. God's word causes faith to come alive in us. Okay, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Okay, that's a scripture in the Bible, right? Romans 10, 17 tells us how faith grows by hearing the words of Christ, by hearing the scripture. And, and there's an example of this in the Bible. I'm going to read you the Bible's example of this from Acts 14, um, 7 through 10. Listen to this. There, the apostles, the apostles preached the good news in Lystra. There was a crippled man who had been lame from his birth and had never been able to walk, never. He sat there and he listened to Paul's words. So Paul was preaching. Paul saw this man and that he believed and he could be healed. So he looked straight at him and said in a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And the man jumped up and he started walking. Isn't that a beautiful story? This man's faith, just sitting in the congregation, was awakened after hearing the word of God preached by Paul. And, and that awakening of his faith got him ready to receive the miracle that he wanted. 
in that moment, as the word of God was going out, we all have a little bit of faith, the Bible says. We all have like a faith like a tiny little mustard seed. But as this man was listening to the, the, the word being preached, that little mustard seed began to grow and grow and grow. In moments it was growing because things grow different in, with the word of God than they will in the natural. It might take a seed in the natural to grow ages and ages, but you know it can grow quite quickly when we do things, when we read our Bibles. You don't have to labor in years and years to get great faith, okay? Because this man had great faith in a moment. Paul looked at him and said, ah, I can see the faith on that guy. And he received his miracle and he got up and walked. You know, and sometimes we meet people in life, we see people in life, and we think, oh, they just have so much faith, don't they? They're just a very faith-filled person. And we put it down to just the kind of person that they are, but actually, mature, developed faith comes when we feed our mind and our spirit with God's Word. It is something that we can do proactively, grow our faith. We don't just have to accept the fact that I, I'm not a person of great faith. I really struggle in my faith. You don't have to. You can be proactive with your Bible and read it. And you know what? You don't even know it's happening. You don't even know it's happening and your faith is growing. Every time you go to the Word of God, every time you mutter that little scripture under your breath at the bus stop or sitting in the doctor's office, your faith is being activated and coming alive and growing. Okay, so we're all called to be people of big faith, um, big faith that's awakened to all the possibilities of God. Number six, here we go. I told you it was going to go quick. The word of God is our only offensive weapon. Okay, now in Ephesians 6, if you've been a churchgoer all your life, you will remember this from Sunday school and the fuzzy felt board. We all know the fuzzy felt board, don't we? Right? There's a little board with little fuzzy things that stick on the board as the Sunday school teaches. Well, Ephesians 6 talks about the full armor of God. Have you heard of the full armor of God? Raise your hand. Yeah, you all heard about the fuzzy felt board. Okay, the full armor of God includes things like this. And, and, the, and he's telling us in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, that shield of faith, and the shoes covered with the gospel. And what are they to do? He's saying to pro- these are things we put on every day to protect us from the enemy, the devils, and his demonic forces, all the arrows that he's shooting at us all the time, right? So that if you have the full armor of God on, you know, you're walking down the street, bing, he puts an arrow at you, one of his horrible flaming arrows, and boom, it falls right off of you, right? Because you've got all your gear on. Well, the word of God tells us that the Bible is the only part of that outfit that they talked about, this armor of God, that is an offensive weapon, And the Bible calls it the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's in Ephesians 6, 17, if you're taking notes. So the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Your Bible is, spiritually speaking, like a sword and does the work of a sword. Okay, now in this particular scripture where they speak of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the word of God here in the Greek, because that scripture would have been originally written in Greek, doesn't mean just, just the Bible as in the written word, but it's the spoken word 
of God. So it's speaking particularly of the Bible, the scriptures, and when we use it as the spoken word of God is when it is like an offensive weapon to the enemy, like a sword. When we speak out the word of God, it becomes a sword against the enemy in our mouths. And we can combat his lies. He's lying to, if he's talking, if the enemy is talking, he's lying, okay? It says that he's a liar and there's no truth in him. He's never spoken a word of truth. So if he's speaking lies over you, over your family, over your children, over your work, over how you feel about how you look when you're in the mirror, over about how you feel about your spouse, over about just any lies that the enemy is speaking, You can speak out the truth, which is the word of God, which is the sword. And you know what? Every time you do it, and this is what's actually happening spiritually, you are pulling out a big sword and you are chopping the enemy's lies just right out of his mouth. Right? None of us like the enemy. We all want to destroy him. Well, we're not going to destroy him in any other way than with that offensive weapon which has been given us, which, which is to just chop him to bits, cut him down to size. Okay? And that's what the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, does. You know, and there's, Jesus did it. He was our main example. Do you remember when it says he went up um, into the mountains or into the desert, and he went, he was fasting, and he was, was, um, praying for 40 days and nights. Who came to him? The devil. The devil himself came to, to Jesus. And the devil kept trying to tempt Jesus. With little, now Jesus is fasting. And he goes, oh, you see those rocks, Jesus? Why don't you turn them into bread? I know you're hungry. And Jesus responded. He didn't say, oh, get out of here, devil. Oh, you're making me mad, devil. No. What he said was, it is written. And he would come back at the devil every single time, and he would come back with scripture. And you know, the devil kept coming and coming and and coming at him with lies. And every single time, Jesus cut him down to size with the sword of the Spirit. Jesus showed us the way. And you know what ended up happening? The devil just got so fed up, it said he left him. And that's what he'll do to you. Resist the devil. That's how you do it with the sword, and he will flee from you. Wonderful. There's also, there's also a picture in Revelation that the Apostle John, he's getting this wonderful vision, and he, and he pictures Jesus, and Jesus is looking fierce, and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, and he's about ready to fight a battle. And I always thought that was a weird picture, because I always thought, why is he not holding the sword? Why is the sword coming out of his mouth? Well, why is the sword coming out of his mouth? Because that's how the scripture becomes a weapon. It doesn't become a weapon just in our hands. It becomes a weapon when we speak it out against the lies of the enemy. And Jesus, again, in that word picture in Revelation, shows us that. Okay, so those are the six things that why the Bible is so important to someone who follows the Lord. But you know what? You have to be to benefit from the scriptures. You have to be proactive about the Bible. It's something that you must engage with. Weirdly, when I was a child, this I always found this weird, even as a child, it used to be that you could give, um, when, when couples were just getting married, a nice gift to get them would be this gigantic, it was bi- as big as this tabletop here, Bible. It was a coffee table Bible. And you didn't read this Bible. It was really just for looks. And maybe inside the cover, you might write like important things like deaths and births and all kinds of things like that. But you didn't read it because, first of all, it was really 
really heavy and big and kind of an unusual gift, I always thought. You know, I always thought, why would you get someone that? You know, I'd rather have towels or something. But the thing is, they would give you this big, giant Bible. It was used to be a thing. I don't think it's as popular anymore. But it was purely or- ornamental. And you know, the Bible was never meant to be ornamental. And it was also never meant to sit by our bedside and collect dust or in our bookshelf, hidden among the other books, you know, like, oh, I don't know where my Bible is. I'm not really sure. The Bible is not meant to be that because if you don't interact with it, then there is no power coming from it into your life. Okay? Um, So you have to be proactive. Now, I'm going to just say these things. There's five things, and I'm just going to say them quickly. This is not a big big thing here. Um, These are the five things you need to do if you want all the benefits I mentioned. One, accept that the Word of God is the final authority. God said it. It is so. Number two, you got to read it, okay? It's not an ornament. You've got to read it and engage with it. Number three, meditate. We talked about what meditation is. It's like biting it, chewing it, and then mulling it over a little bit before you digest it. So that's what you've got to do. Sit under the Word like you're all doing now. This is wonderful what you're doing. The Word of God is being spoken over you. Things are coming off you. The gardener is cutting old stuff off of you, and and, and, and your faith is growing. You're sitting under the Word. Sit under the Word often. You know, if you have a favorite preacher or someone you listen to in the week on a podcast, good for you. Come to church. Come to everything that you can where the Word of God is being spoken. And also teachers and preachers are there to help you when you don't understand, that to give you new perspective on things that you've read and read and read. And all of a sudden, someone teaches you something and you think, well, I never saw it in that way before. That's a gift of God to you in a teacher and a preacher. Okay, so take advantage of those gifts that God has given. Last thing, this is it, this is where I end. Practice it, obey it. Okay, the Bible says that we're not just to be hearers of the word alone, but we are to be what? Doers of the word, not hearers only, but doers of the word. Um, And it says also, it gives us two examples in the Bible of these guys who built houses. One guy um, built his house on a solid rock. He heard the words of God and he And with those solid words, built his house up on a rock, on the solid foundation. And when the storm came, it couldn't be knocked down. But the other guy built his house just like the other guy did, but he built it on sand, shifting sand, not a good foundation. And when the storm came, his house just fell and great was the fall, it said. And that's what happens when we do not engage with the Bible and build our lives on the truth of the Word of God. And that's why the Bible is so important to us as followers of Jesus. And I have only one little thing to to end with here is a little bit of homework. And that homework is go engage with your Bible. It is a gift from God into your life. And you will have, if you do those things, you will be strong in the Lord and you will have a wonderful relationship with him.